0: Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Hack to Start, a podcast that focuses on amazing people who have an interesting story or perspective to share, and their insights on how they got to the level of success they have today.
1: This is episode 140, and today we'll be chatting with Swish Gashwami, the CEO and co-founder of Technotronics, a recipient of Canada's top 20 under 20, and TEDx speaker.
0: Swish is originally from Singapore and moved to Canada at a young age. He began his career as a serial entrepreneur launching several initiatives including the world youth fund which has helped support over 70 projects created by young entrepreneurs all over the world
1: today swish is studying at the university of toronto while working on his wearable startup technotronics which is backed by the nba brooklyn nets power forward trevor booker swish joins us to share his story
0: how he got into social entrepreneurship what it's been like working on technotronics how he's approached building the partnership with Trevor, his advice to other young entrepreneurs, and much more. So, once again, we'd like to welcome you to the show. Feel free to tweet at us at hacktostart, drop us an email hey at hacktostart.com, or share your feedback right on iTunes with a review. Good or bad, we'd love to hear from you. So, let's get started.
1: Hey, Swish. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Franco and I are extremely excited to have you on to learn more a bit about your experience with social entrepreneurship and startups. But before we dive into that, we'd like to learn a bit more about yourself. So where are you from and what did you study?
2: So I was born in Singapore, I moved to Canada when I was nine years old, um, and basically went through junior high, high school, very much dabbling with entrepreneurship, and then came to the University of Toronto, which is where I am right now. I'm in second year studying peace, conflict, justice studies, and ethics, society, and law, which basically sounds like a lot, but it just boils down to modern philosophy and conflict resolution.
1: That's really cool. So how did your passion for social entrepreneurship and startups come about?
2: So I think, you know, for for social entrepreneurship specifically, it started mainly because of the balance between my mom and my dad. So my dad's very corporate heavy. He's a person who's now a vice president for an oil and gas company. He works in Singapore still. My mom is a teacher who teaches English to refugees and immigrants that come to Canada for the first time. So, I mean, you can see like the different balance when it comes to my mom is super empathetic. Not saying that my dad isn't, but just in terms of their job and the way that they want to express themselves, my mom wants to move more towards an empathetic career approach than my dad that's very money-oriented and looking very much for a more of a capitalistic approach. So I think growing going, growing up within that household and, and basically learning from both of them um, allowed me to combine the two and move towards an avenue that at that time I didn't know it was called social entrepreneurship. But I later found out that what I was doing by essentially A, putting people first in every business that I started and B, not necessarily caring as much about the money that I get in return, but more importantly about the impact that I make on people, um, that's kind of where I found out that I was moving towards more of a social entrepreneur model. Um, My earliest, you know, experience with entrepreneurship started when I was eight years old, though. Um, My dad came and wanted to convince me basically to be an engineer and in his hidden way, basically wanted to start a project, building something with me. And you know I was a fan of Star Wars, Star Trek, all these space fiction shows, um, and I wanted to build a hovercraft. And so I told my dad that's what I wanted to do. We spent about four months building a hovercraft, and by the end of the four months, we had sold my first and only rechargeable and remote-controlled hovercraft for $200. And my dad, I think, thought that I would found some love with building things, but what kind of sucked, especially for my dad, is I found a love more of selling things, and more importantly, in finding people um, who can essentially connect with my product Best. So I think that's kind of my first experience with entrepreneurship. Later on, I got into a couple of programs like Junior Achievement in Canada, which is a great incubator for young startups, um, and then moved on towards a nonprofit route in high school. Which the best advice I always give to someone who comes up and asks me, like, "Hey, you know, how do I get started with like entrepreneurship?" is find an issue you care a lot about, a social issue in particular, and build a nonprofit around it. Because if you build a nonprofit, you're not borrowing money from anyone, you're not getting and having to raise money. You don't even need to make money necessarily um to be self-sufficient um but you still understand all of the things behind marketing operations accounts all of the stuff with business you kind of understand it through uh nonprofits a lot
0: better that's really cool. And so speaking of nonprofits and like all the social activities that, that you know, you really started to, to, to gravitate around it during high school, you're, you're the founder of several social initiatives like World Thinks, The Next Foundry, World Youth Fund, Food Share and, and more. So, you know, can you tell us a bit about maybe some of these, um, specifically the World Youth Fund and, and what really motivated you to start that one?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the World Youth Fund started actually out off the World Things organization. So when I was in high school in grade 10, it was again, I was telling you, like, it was the time where I really wanted to start something on my own. You know, the the times i created things before were also an incubator or a program, but I wanted to just go and start something from scratch my own. So I, I, you know, I'd grown up watching a lot of conferences and people speak and especially, you know, watched a lot of TED Talks. And I really hated TED Talks when I was in high school, which was a bit ironic because I later in university gave one. But I mean, I just hated the fact that you'd have a speaker go up and everyone would almost consider them like God and like whatever they say is God's way Um, and there's little to no engagement between the audience and the speaker. They just maybe take one or two questions, definitely not in the TED Talk. And they'd go off stage and that's it. So my co-founder and I wanted to start up basically a business that revolutionized live conferencing. That's what we came out with our naive grade 10 mind saying, oh, we're going to revolutionize this industry. We're going to change it, right? So we wanted to build a new type of conference that essentially allowed a speaker to come up, give a talk maybe for five to 10 minutes. But then the bulk of the time they spend is based solely on interacting with the audience, whether it be through posing a question to the audience that the audience has to solve together in focus groups and the speaker would go around to each group or maybe, you know, having an extensive Q&A session like Gary Vaynerchuk, for example, does, where it's about 10 minutes of talking and like 30 to 40 minutes of just questions from people directly. So when we started going around for, you know, trying to raise money for this idea, we went to about 41 corporations in Calgary, Alberta, Which, again, is kind of surprising because I never imagined they'd actually be 41 corporations in Calgary, Alberta. But nonetheless, I mean, we went to each and we asked for money. And a lot of the places we went to just rejected us solely on the basis of our age or experience. Um, And then some of the people were were quite honest and told us that our idea was crap. We needed to work on it a bit more. Um, But the majority of people rejected us based on our age, our experience, the fact that we weren't even in university or didn't have a degree yet. So that kind of bothered me, but at the same time, I think made me realize that if I was Rejected. If my co-founder was getting rejected, there are probably a lot more young people who are also getting rejected. And there needs to be something done to be able to allow for the allocation of money to youth entrepreneurs who want to start before university, before all of the bulk funding goes to university incubators and accelerators. So I wanted to build something that was self-sufficient. So basically got a couple of my friends within various countries and within various cities who I met through debating because I competitively debated for Canada for three years. And I essentially got them to start any project as small as a bake sale to as big as a conference. And the goal was to raise money that they would send back to me and I would put it into a central pot that we could allocate money to young entrepreneurs around the world. So that in all was, I think, a huge example not only of how an idea can germinate from a social issue and how you can actually progress your career through that, but secondly, I mean, I think it comes down to a huge skill that I've continued to have, which is being adaptive, right? Coke started off as a cough syrup but ended up being one of the greatest beverages to ever exist, right? A lot of businesses, when you start off thinking that your business is one way, might change to become something else later. And that's what happened with World Youth Fund.
0: It's really cool, and so what have been some of the like the biggest impacts of the World Youth Fund to date? Are there any like success stories that you can share with us?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. So I mean, we funded a number of projects around seventy-six projects now around the world, and I mean, we've partnered with a couple of organizations, including Black and Beach, which has given us a great grant for twenty-five thousand dollars. And I think some of the projects we basically focused on have cornered around two themes: water and women and specifically looking at developing nations where water is a huge issue, but female empowerment is also a huge issue that you need to be able to try to solve. So I think those are two key issues. We funded a number of people also through Kiva. So not just going and finding our own young entrepreneurs, but a lot of young entrepreneurs, especially within developing nations, especially within regions like India and China, are getting onto Kiva and are asking for money to that. And so we're looking at those avenues as well in terms of partnering with organizations like Kiva or any or other microfinancing organizations to be able to get money to them appropriately.
0: Absolutely. That's incredible. That's a huge number of projects that that you guys have been behind. So congrats. That's really cool to hear. Thanks so much. Yeah. So what have been some of the biggest challenges, I guess, like in the early days of starting the World Youth Fund uh, and and some of the lessons that you've learned, you know, throughout these these various experiences and, and taken with you?
2: I mean, I think the first thing is just being taken seriously, right? I mean, it's good that we had a business that was cornered around young people because of the fact that, you know, I think it's it's easier to gain credibility if you're a young person starting something that's catered to your own demographic. But I think the big thing is we still needed to get sponsors. We still needed to, you know, talk to adults and get them to even sign off on the most basic things like a bank agreement form, right? So I think all of that came down to legitimacy and credibility. And for us early on, that was a huge issue. But I think what we started to do really do is take initiative on our own to kickstart the project ourselves so the first four or five projects were all in canada and were done by people who were my friends or myself and that's just because we wanted to put something on our portfolio to be able to show to people who were adults who were whether they were investors or people who were giving us money or people who wanted to partner with us that we're legitimate and we have a big mission that we're trying to trying to solve here. The second problem I think was really trying to organize people. I wasn't a very good manager when I was younger. And honestly, still now, like I feel like management is something that I continuously am working towards getting better at. I'm not a very good manager just because I assume that everyone has the same schedule. Everyone has the same intensity and ambition as I do. But the fact of the matter is, and it's not wrong to not have the same ambition or intensity that I do, a lot of people don't. And it's hard for me to be able to push people oh, when I try to think that, oh, they're just wired the same way as me. So that's something that came up early on. But I think for me, having a really good co founder who was extremely balanced in his view of entrepreneurship, he wasn't as radically right, in my opinion, as I was, in the sense of he didn't want to make entrepreneurship a career. It was more like a hobby and activity. Was a really good controlling factor for me. And he was a great person that I was able to get to talk to people who also thought in the same way.
1: Those are some great insights and uh, just like lessons learned. And I'm really excited to see where this uh, initiative progresses over the, you know, the next few months to years.
2: Definitely. And I mean, the cool thing about it is I'm not as focused on the day to day operations anymore. But, you know, a new generation of high school students. And that just feels weird saying because I'm like in second year university. So it just sounds a weird saying the next generation. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like the next batch of high school students are going to be coming and leading this project on their own. And it's that type of thing that I really like about social initiative. Beyond the impact you make, even if you aren't making money for that idea or for that venture, the biggest thing it contributes for people who are self-interested and the biggest incentive I can give to people who are listening to this who don't want to start nonprofits nonprofit because they think it doesn't make money is legacy. That's what it really comes down to, right? When you're 40 years old and there's still high school students going to be doing your program and you look back at that and say, I created it. It's not only something to be proud about, but it's something to be extremely happy about because of the fact that you're incentivizing the next generation of students and young people to take action in the same way as you did.
1: Yeah, I couldn't even agree more. So as time progressed, you co-founded a wearables company called Technotronics. So can you tell us a bit more about this company and what really motivated you to launch it?
2: Yeah, definitely. And so this is a very raw company in the sense of we started just three months ago. I have a co-founder called Nair who's probably you know one of the smartest people I know. In grade ten, he built a cure for cancer through gold nanoparticles. In grade eleven, he moved on to MS, and in grade twelve and first year of university, he went to DC to work on the Zika virus with the, the government of the United States. So he's crazy when it comes to just understanding from a procedural level how to tackle problems. So, I mean, for me, I think he brought that idea to me in November when I was asking around for, you know, what do you guys think is the next big thing? You know, that's what I love to do with my friend group and specifically people who I admire greatly is ask them, you know, what do you think is the next big thing? And Arjun brought up this idea of a wearable tech that could essentially allow for coaches and trainers to gauge muscle movements a lot better. And I was like, yeah, you know, like that kind of sounds good. I hate the Fitbit as well. And maybe we can, you know, make something better than the Fitbit. Right. But a month after I was DM'd. Direct messaged on Instagram by a Brooklyn Nets player uh, in the NBA called Trevor Booker, who was coming to Toronto, wanted to meet me. And when he met me, he asked me a couple of my ideas. And I don't know where, but like I think about 30 minutes down the conversation, I was just like, oh, also, there's this idea that my friend proposed, and Trevor loved that idea. Um, And so I knew, like, hey, not only do I have the backing, not only do I have a co founder who's incredibly intelligent, but I'm also very passionate about basketball and sports, right? Like we were talking earlier, my nickname, Swish came from playing basketball in junior high and high school. It doesn't mean that I was good. It just means that, like, you know, <laughs> it's a better version than Swarochish, and I played basketball, so it was Swish. But, you know, I'm still a huge fan. I'm, I love watching basketball. So immediately, right off the bat, I saw that connection to, to the idea that I had. And I just wanted to get the pieces together for it. And that's basically what I did in January is get everyone together on the same page, got Trevor involved as our chief advisor. And then he was able to essentially get me, Arjun, as well as a person called Zayu in Calgary, who's a great computer programmer and a guy called Parker here in Toronto, who's another computer scientist. The four of us all were able to get together as a team and get connected to a number of organizations in the NBA like the Utah Jazz and the Brooklyn Nets to be able to talk to their head trainers and strength coaches about this technology and what it could mean for them. And the feedback we've been getting is great and it's also very positive, which is really, really good because it means that we're on the path to something cool. So that's basically where we're moving right now. We're targeting the professional sports market with basically a knee and an elbow patch that can track muscle movements a lot better so that coaches and trainers can optimize rest time and they could also potentially predict injuries. And maybe a year or two, we'll focus in on amateur leagues um, and then hopefully in the distant future, move on to maybe bringing it down to the consumer level. But I don't want to immediately bring it down to the consumer level because I want to focus on a niche market first and build the product out in such a way that it becomes popular because NBA players, NHL players... And NFL athletes are all wearing it as well. So a really good example i like to bring to this is like the Power Balance Band that was worn by a lot of NBA athletes. That band basically did literally nothing. It just looked cool. And so many young people, including myself, started wearing them because we saw people like Kobe Bryant, or Kyrie Irving or LeBron James wearing and we're like we got to get one of those right so that's a really big reason for why we're going after professional sports first is it has a huge trickle down effect to amateur sports as well as to the basic average consumer
1: that's really cool I know it's only been a few months as you mentioned but you've been able to put together a solid foundation so how did you approach developing the partnership with Trevor Booker
2: Yes, I mean, you know, it helped because he reached out to me first. But at the same time, I mean, honestly, when I look back at it, we could have had dinner in Toronto the night before he was going to play against the Raptors and, you know, just had a conversation and that's it. You know, I could have gotten a picture with him and just said bye. I think the key thing for me is I got to know who he was um, a lot more after he reached out to me. Like I knew he was, but I didn't know too much about his entrepreneurial background. And I started to look into areas that he was interested in and just started to think of one to two to three to four ideas that I could pitch him to work with him on. You know, so I feel like I think it took a huge effort on my part to go out and try to find areas that I could work with him on. And that's a key thing. Whenever you're meeting someone, it's to not just go in and be like, I'm just going to talk to them and get a picture with them, but find out essentially what they need and try to bring them value in that way. And it sometimes can be tough, right? Like I met Gary Vaynerchuk in August and for a person like him, for example, it's really hard to know what he wants, right? But I think the number one thing that I learned when I was just going through my feed and learning more about Gary, for example, was he needs people who are gonna stay committed to his brand and more importantly, promote his brand for him, especially along millennials. And that's what I did. And that's why we've stayed in touch ever since. So the same thing happened with Trevor. And I think for anyone, honestly, it's finding what they need, bringing value to them, and then B, just staying in touch. You know, Trevor and I talk almost every day now via text message, email, or Instagram. And even when he has a basketball game, for example, I'll just give him a quick thing like, hey, you know, great job today, 12 rebounds, or whatever, just to make him know that, you know, I'm still paying attention to what we're doing. And more importantly, I'm still attached to his work.
1: You know, for sure, really building that relationship is key for those, uh, you know, long-term kind of engagements with these types of folks. Yeah. So what is it about wearables and this type of technology that really excites you? I think wearables
2: is basically, honestly, the future of where we're moving towards, right? I think technology has been harnessed to the point where we started off perfecting the indoor environment we live in. We started to perfect the outdoor environment we live in. But for a lot of us, we forgot to ever examine ourselves. We ever forgot to examine how. Beyond just us having an external relationship with technology, how potentially we could have an internal relationship with it. And that's where I really think wearables can be interesting, right? There's just so many factors of how technology can enhance our lives. But I think it's better if that technology is attached to us than if that technology has to be externally seeked out or externally accessed and, and gone through, right? So that's what really excites me about wearables. I think beyond that, too, the wearable industry has so many applications. It's not just sports that, you know, the wearable industry is big in, but the wearable industry can have so many applications from, like, biomedical procedures to looking at just basic marketing and advertising that you can put, right? I saw a person downstairs today who had a shirt where every time I spoke to that person, the shirt would amplify the sound levels to go with my voice, right? Just something cool like that, honestly is something that I'm just so excited about because the applications, are just so many.
1: And yeah, no, I'm for sure this technology is still, you know, it's kind of still early days. And it'll be really cool to see how it definitely evolves and how we maybe move away from like the actual physical wristbands and then and see how it's like embedded in our clothes or really like, yep. who knows what's next, right? Because it's still, in my opinion, exactly. early days. So what's next for Technotronics?
2: I mean, in terms of what's next, I think, There are just two key things. I think, A, we're right now going through a pre-seed round, so we want to basically get a number of people to fund our project. The response we've actually gotten is incredible. I mean, there are a number of people who are willing to put money for it, and it's actually allowed us to be very selective with who we take in. And the reason why I want to be selective is I want to find people specifically who not only can provide us money, but connections, as well as a deep-rooted passion for sports and for fitness. So I don't just want to find someone who wants to make a quick buck and leave. I want to find people who are connected to that industry and, more importantly, have a passion for what we're doing. The second thing, I think, is building a team. We have a core team that we formed for incredibly intelligent people. You know, maybe three, actually. I don't know if I am, but no. Uh, but, but, like, you know, just, just crazy smart and really ambitious driven people. And the four of us now need to start finding people who are similar in our goals. And we essentially then need to go about getting a team together, not only from, you know, building the product itself, but also building the program and finding computer scientists and programmers to do that. And then helping people, helping me, for example, work on operations and marketing. So that's kind of what's next. We're aiming for May to have all our funding finished. The reason why, you know, we're going very slow with this idea is primarily because this is an industry that has so many people in it. And if we go too fast, we actually might miss out meeting a couple of people who really could help our product develop and more importantly, market them to the right people. So that's why essentially, I don't want to go too fast with this idea. I don't want to burn out. I don't also want to put too much pressure on our team to get things done. At the same time, though, I think May is a reasonable time to finish our all of our financing, get all of our money and build our team by and I think then move on to summer where we're trying to build our prototype out, test it, get Trevor to be the first athlete to test this technology, aiming that we can essentially get this prototype in operation by the October new NBA season. So that's kind of our timeline going forward. But definitely, you know, I'm the type of person who is extremely flexible. Um, And so what that means, you know, if by May we are still not really finishing up with our funding rounds or, you know, we still haven't found the right people yet. I'll still try to delay that process. You know, I don't want to rush anything, especially when you're working with students who have their own schedules, who have their own ambitions outside of your company, but be when you're working with such an industry where you just can't go fast, because if you go too fast, you'll burn out or you wouldn't actually think about the right ideas and get the right people to execute on your
0: mission. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, one of the other things that that you do a lot of is uh, you've spoken to several different events or schools and conferences on a variety of subjects, but particularly youth entrepreneurship. Uh, is a regular theme, like like we you know we've sort of seen throughout this episode. Furthermore, like in two thousand fifteen, you were named one of Canada's top twenty under twenty. So, what is some of your advice to other young entrepreneurs who are looking to, to start doing something or trying to figure out like what they should do or how to build a brand? What what do you typically share with them?
2: I think the two things that just get started somewhere. I think a lot of people are extremely complacent in the sense of they think that once they have one accomplishment. That means that they've already put themselves out there. That means they've already done something. But for a lot of what I'm doing right now is trying to get people to take the ideas that they once thought weren't possible and then view them again, right? A lot of what I like to do is actually go back to my notes when I was seven, eight, nine years old and see whether those ideas that I wrote down as futuristic can actually be applied now with the technology we have accessible to us. So starting somewhere is very important because honestly, a lot of people, A, have started somewhere and feel like it's enough and that's complacency, or B, haven't even started in the first place and continuously plan out their future without ever thinking to actually start building foundational pieces for it, which is what I did from the ages of 14 to 17, is I built a foundation that essentially allowed me to grow from there nowadays, when I'm able to leverage my connections, when I'm able to put myself out there, or when I'm able to talk about the things that I did when I was 14 to 17 years old. The second thing and the second piece of advice I have for young entrepreneurs always is to try to put themselves out there in as many places as possible. So have a core message that you really care about. For me, I have a number of things that I care about, from education and mental health to youth entrepreneurship and social entrepreneurship. And for all of those things, I try to put myself out there, not only on social media, but speaking or blogging or trying to go about doing a podcast, right? Anything like that, honestly, can help you not only get connected with people who have similar interests as you, but B can also allow you to be seen as not only an expert, but a credible person in your industry and that's key especially for young entrepreneurs who are starting up because again a lot of them are not seen as credible when they approach adults but now when you're able to build a good personal brand you're more likely to be seen as credible
1: thanks for sharing that that's some really great advice and it will definitely resonate to our audience and the young entrepreneurs who'll be listening to the show
2: No, definitely. And I mean, that's just another thing too. It's like I have so many more pieces of advice. So anyone hearing this, definitely look at the show notes and connect with me because I just love talking to young people who are interested in the idea. I almost am jealous of them, right? Because I love the idea of where you're thinking about an idea and you don't know whether to go with it or not. That phase is just so much fun. So I'd love to be a part of it with with you.
1: For sure. So what are some of the most recent apps, tools, or just like software that you really fall in love with that we are currently using?
2: I mean, I think two main apps right now. One is you know, most definitely I love, love, love using Instagram. The number of updates that they've made that are just killer from Instagram stories to coming out with Instagram album that you're able to put more than one photo in, in one post. All of those things are just so cool. And I love being able to put out content on Instagram. And that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to continue doing. The second, and this comes as a huge shock for some people and also just, you know, not a huge shock for some is LinkedIn. You know, I've basically doubled down this year on LinkedIn and I'm move forward in the way of, I believe that LinkedIn is the single most undervalued platform. And the reason for that is I think a lot of people think of LinkedIn as like a substitute for their resume or a way to find a job, where LinkedIn is actually a social network, just like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat are. It has a different layout. It has a different feed, just like all of these platforms do. But I think the best part about LinkedIn is... If you're trying to connect with people in a particular industry, why are people trying to do it over Instagram or Snapchat than going to places where people have built their profiles off their work in that industry, right? So that's why, you know, I'm essentially trying to put out a lot of content, trying to put out a lot of advice, informational, motivational pieces that have essentially allowed me to build a really good community on LinkedIn. And that's why I just love going back there is the number of people I'm able to connect with, the number of connections that I made through LinkedIn, and, you know, the number of speaking engagements, podcasts, interviews, all of these things, opportunities that came my way, I've mainly gotten them
1: to LinkedIn. So do you have any recommendations on some great content that you've come across lately, either a book, video or a blog post?
2: In terms of a video, you know, a video that I love watching again and again is Gary Vaynerchuk's Monday Motivation video. It's not a recent video. He posted it about three years ago, but he keeps on posting it again and again because I just love that video, not because it provides me motivation. Honestly, I'm like the last person that needs motivation. But just because his ideas in it are just so, res- like they're incredible. They, they they talk about not only his idea of, you know, you have one at bat and you can make it count. Very similar to, you know, the you only live once thing that kind of blew up two years ago. But I think the second thing is, talking specifically to people who are complaining right now who you know i have a lot of friends a lot of family members a lot of people in my life who complain about where they are but are not taking steps to change that and i think that video is really really good for those type of people the second in terms of books i'm not much of a reader but i honestly did start reading a book which i was really fascinated by it's called zero to one uh it's a book by peter thiel and there's actually a guy on dragon's den who is now a mentor for me he's a judge on dragon's den his name is michael hyatt uh dragon's den by the way for americans is like the equivalent of shark tank for us in canada and And he recommended that book to me because it's incredible to examine how to build a business and more importantly, how to build a business that's practical. And so if you're the person that's scared of building one because you think you might lose money, read zero to one, because honestly, it'll allow you to think in a different way and a way that's just more practical and more likely than to be successful. The final thing in terms of just generally, you know, pieces of content, I I really like following people on LinkedIn who have really, really good LinkedIn blogs. So blogs that come from LinkedIn Plus, I really, really like following people. And so one of the people that I would recommend following is a guy called Tony Hughes. Tony, T-O-N-Y, Hughes, H U. U G H E S on LinkedIn. He has some great pieces that he writes about how industries are changing from social media changing to wearables changing to the financial market changing, all of these different changes and trends that are occurring. He examines them a lot closer. So those are just basically some of the pieces of content I would recommend.
0: Cool. Those are some awesome resources and we'll definitely make sure that uh, we link to them so people can check them out. Awesome. So just to kind of recap and and, end the episode, do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think other people should know about? I mean, I think the basic philosophy that I love living by was said by
2: Harvey Dent in The Dark Knight, which was, I make my own luck. And I honestly love that line so much, just because when I grew up, I grew up in a time where, you know, in Singapore, and then when I came in as an immigrant... I thought that, you know, yeah, so many people who live in really rich households are just lucky. You know, they're lucky to be in those households. And then when I grew up, anytime I didn't get an opportunity, I considered the person who did get it over me be lucky, But then I think, you know, right now, especially in the last year or two, I've kind of understood that basically the purpose of working is this. Think of yourself like an artist. You're going to work every day and you're looking at a white canvas in front of you. You're going to draw or you're going to paint or whatever. You're going to try to draw something and think of something to do. But if you don't know what you're doing, the purpose of working is this. That potentially, if you do work, you'll have a miracle thought, or you'll have an opportunity that comes your way, or you'll get lucky and you'll figure something out. But the reason why I love this analogy is you could only figure that miracle out if you show up. And a lot of people don't. A lot of people just think they get lucky without putting themselves out there, without ever showing up in the first place. So that's why I love I make my own luck. That line is incredible. Because of the fact that I think, honestly, you know, if you want to get lucky, position yourself to win. Position your career to be in that way so that you're at a higher likelihood to be able to get those miracles that you think can only come to people who are just, you know, in a wealthier city or whatever.
0: Awesome. That's a terrific analogy. Uh, Swish, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, man. It was uh, awesome to have you on the show.
2: Definitely. No, thank you so much. I would, of course, again, recommend to all the listeners to check out your previous podcasts as well. I did, and I really liked them. So thanks so much. You guys are doing great
0: work. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much, man. That's another episode of Hack to Start. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again soon. Remember to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, as well as on the web at hacktostart.com. We honestly couldn't do this show without your awesome support, so if you liked what you heard, feel free to share it on Twitter, or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and until next week.